got a great sound to play in Hello? Have you ever snubbed a lady? Um, we had a technical problem. Are we on? Yeah. We're on there. Can I swear? Shit! Now, we've been away a while, we appreciate that, but we are back, and we've not had our feet up, we've been very busy, producer Simon went away and got married to the beautiful Jodie, and I did my last show on the wireless as well, which was emotional. But most importantly, we've been scouring the airwaves for the most interesting and funny, honest and available characters to appear on the UK's number one, light-hearted, semi-regular, radio personality interview podcast. So... Who have we got to start the latest series and satisfy radio geeks around the world? Well, someone who describes themselves as not a radio person. Sorry. It's the Andy Bush. Despite his early ambivalence to the medium, he's damn good at it. And he's got one of the plum jobs in the UK, presenting the home time show on the mighty Absolute Radio. Now, we discover that he first appeared on the radio as a member of a band, how he still feels imposter syndrome, and also how he he hasn't spoken to a certain co-host since their last show together. Now, before we kick off, just a quick message from us. We are now on Kofi. So if you like what we do and you want to support us for future episodes, we would love you a little bit more and it'd be a huge help. You can leave us a tip. You can find us at co-fi.com forward slash crunch and roll. So that is ko-fi.com forward slash crunch and roll. Uh, right, let's not beat around the bush any longer. Oh, yeah. Andy, how are you? I'm very good, man. How are you doing? It's been a long time since we we laid eyes upon each other. I was just I've just driven to our little studio to record this with you, and I was thinking to myself, it must be nearly twenty years ago since um, myself and Tom had to drive to Bristol um, to be in the presence of the greats known as Bush and Troy. Which oh. I think we'll we'll, we'll get onto this in a bit yeah. uh, when we when we get onto your career. But um, yeah, it's been a long time. I was just saying to you before we hit record, you look exactly the same. All right, thank you very much. And you don't look too dissimilar yourself. I think we're, we're if, if we can big ourselves up here, I think we're fair and okay. Good use of a, a daily moisturiser and going to bed early has worked well for the pair of us. <laughs> well, do you know, I've, um, I was also saying to you before we hit record that I have changed careers. I've left radio. And um, the first time I've listened to radio in the last three months was driving in listening to yourself on air. So how was the gel Frazy? Have you managed to have the gel Frazy yet? Or is that is that ready to rock and roll? <laughs> I've just uh, had to break up some form of... Uh, jamboree that uh, the, the, the youngsters from Kiss were doing in our uh, in our canteen area. I've I've salvaged my Jal uh, I've just had it now, and it, it, I, I you know obviously going for a curry is nice, but sometimes I don't think you can beat like a, a meal deal three pound ninety nine microwavable special. Uh, last night on Earth before uh, the electric chair style Jal Frazee you can get from Tesco or Sainsbury's. Uh, you just can't beat it. So, yeah, it lived up to all expectations. Someone, in fact, someone came up to me when I was microwaving it and asked, asked if she'd left me again, which is the, uh, the thing you always say when, um, uh, when someone's microwaving a meal like that. But no, as of yet, she hasn't left me and it was very nice. Thanks very much. All right. So am I right in saying that you're from Devon? So I was born in Liverpool. My parents, like a lot of Scousers, uh, like the look of Devon when we used to go there on holiday. So we moved down to uh, uh, the English Riviera, to Torbay, to run an old people's home of all bizarre um, plans. So my parents had an old people's home for my entire time growing up down in Brixham in Devon. Uh, but it was brilliant because it had like a, a little nurse's flat attached to the side of it called the Annex that we would, we, we had it. There was no matron living there. So we had it entirely for drinking cans of lager and playing loud music and band practices and stuff. So yeah, it was, it was a great place to grow up. So yeah, I, I kind of ended up in, in Devon via Liverpool and Wiltshire, to be honest with you. So I've been all over the place. So do you class yourself as a Scouser or are you a Devon boy? Well, like I'm, I'm a devout Evertonian. My family all still live up in Liverpool. So Liverpool still has a big major place in my heart. But obviously when you're touched by Torbados, that never leaves you. So I, I, you know, I still love things like Trago Mills and uh, cider and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've got the best, the best of both worlds. Is it true that you didn't like local radio? Yes, isn't that, I feel bad now, because obviously then that's been so good to me over the years, but I genuinely really 
kind of I, I'm not one of those people that uh, listened to radio and thought oh, I want to get into this this is what I'm into and all that because I was never really that into it at all to be honest with you and you know we grew up with and I'm not having a pop at them I don't even know if it's still going anymore now but like Gemini FM in, in Devon when I was a, a kid and it didn't really set the world alight as far as I was concerned so I kind of I guess I went into it thinking when I did eventually get into radio I, I kind of went into it thinking I want to try and change this or, or make it a little you know make it a bit edgier or a bit more dangerous and stuff like that so I kind of probably went into it in a, in a kind of like slightly aggressive fighty way and I've stayed in a slightly aggressive fighty mode right the way through my radio career really to be honest with you <laughs> <laughs> well, so so how how did you eventually get into radio what was the what was because you went to uni in Swansea yep Swansea Uni, uh, played in a, a band. We formed a band in Swansea uh, that was doing really well. We were getting played on, like, Steve Lamack was playing us, John Peel was playing us and all that kind of thing. So very much we're going to be we're gonna be rock stars. Playing, we were playing up and down the country and all that kind of stuff. So I needed a job that I could do in the middle of the day uh, that just got a bit of money in. So I started working for BT. I was uh, phoning people up and trying to sell them, like, call minders or answer phones or voice, you know, like the worst thing possible. So you're phoning someone up, trying to make conversation with them. The computer would dial it out. Uh, so you would have, you're calling them whilst they're having their tea and they just absolutely swear down the phone at you. And So anyway, I was, I was doing BT and all that kind of stuff, getting a bit of extra money in. And one lunch break, I went on a walk around Clifton and they had a media fair on and they were advertising for... Um, uh, for traffic news presenters. So I thought I'd just give it a go. I and mean, I didn't drive, so I made it all up. Continued to make it up my entire traffic news career. Um, I just had to record it onto cassette tape, just making shit up. And, you know, I uh, drew a map of, um, like, uh, where was it? Where was it? For, like, Gloucester and stuff like that. And just used to make up make up what was happening, lie. And it, it kind of went from there, really. I ended up getting a job at Traffic Link. And this was the the key, was a, br- a brilliant apprenticeship, really, of doing um, traffic news. And I would still advise that as a really good way of getting into radio, even though it's more and more difficult these days. But, you know, because you get to be on people's shows. And back then, you'd dial in, they would interact with you a little bit. Um, until you get used to being able to get an idea of what someone's talking about and not derailing on someone else's, you know, radio show and what they're they're into and what and where it's going. And yeah, and it kind of got into it from there, really. You didn't do the travel because you wanted to be the dream wasn't to be, you know, a, a radio presenter. It was just to pay the bills so you could then focus on the music. Yeah, exactly. But being a band, do something that meant I had a lot of free time to rehearse. So we used to do two shifts at Traffic Link. We'd do the morning shift at like 6 till 9am and then do the, the the drive home shift 3 till 6 or whatever. And then the rest of the time you had to, you know, we could rehearse or go and play somewhere. And um, and yeah, it was a dream. I absolutely loved it. It was a great bunch of people as well, right in the Evening Post building uh, in the centre of Bristol. Uh, right next to the Evening Post itself, the newspaper and the Western Daily Press, you felt like Spider-Man and, you know, with all their kind of like the, the paper. It was old-fashioned, people making the, you know, writing the paper each day and printers drinking in the bars around it. So it was good fun, but I had absolutely no interest in getting into radio at, like, at all, really. So what happened to the band? So what happened was we got... I ended up going and doing some shifts, just some, like, shadowing shifts just to see what, what it was like at GWR because I used to do Paris's travel news for him. And we always got him really well mucked about. And I was, like, into... Me and a couple of my friends used to write script comedy stuff. So my brother Simon, uh, Simon Bush, he still writes comedy and everything. But we would write sketches together. And I thought, oh, it'd be great to get you know, sketches like we write and we do onto, you know, local radio. That would be a cool way of changing it, referring back to what I was talking about earlier on about trying to make things a bit different. So I kind of got in that way. And then Paris and I just thought, let's just do a demo. And one thing led to another. We got the, the a weekend show, then we got the drive time show, and we ended up doing breakfast. But as soon as I started doing the breakfast show, I couldn't do the gigs anymore because, you know, getting up at an ungodly hour is fine. But if you've just got in from like playing in Leeds at one o'clock in the morning, it wasn't going to extend my career particularly well. So I had to choose uh, between rock and roll and being tired all the time doing breakfast radio and can't remember your own name. And I, I chose the latter. Do you ever regret not chasing the musical dream? A bit. We got really close. Like we had, we had like quite a few A and R people come down and watch us play and watch us rehearse. It's so difficult to get signed music-wise. And I still, still stand by the. the um, we had a couple of like records out and they were good. I thought it was a good band. A lot, a lot. One of my friends walked into a, a bar the other week and they were playing one of our songs. So I feel very proud of that. I, I don't, th- I, you know, it, may, it wasn't destined to be. I don't think. But I'm, I'm, I feel very lucky that I had a kind of um, a good little run in the music industry. Didn't really get anywhere with it, but it was, it was. Bristol, the, the Bristol music scene, Bristol in general, in that era, in the the you know the early two thousands to mid. 
mid-2000s was just a great place to be, whether it was music or media or whatever. So, no, I feel I feel really blessed with it. But, you know, chatting to musicians and stuff like I do now for work, so few of them have managed to stay. You know, I'm into indie music. And if you if you interview an indie band or whatever, there's so, so few of them have stayed on doing it. You know, there was like a high point of two or three years. But I'm glad I've stuck with radio because I'm, you know, lucky enough to still be doing it. I need to know the name of the band, Bush, just so I can have a look on the way home. Ivory Springer, that's what we were called. Three-piece band from Bristol. We used to play in Bath quite a lot, up in Manchester and Leeds and London and all that kind of thing. And uh, uh, yeah, I I thought we were all right. I I, I still stand by. Whenever I talk about my band, um, people always take the mickey out of me and call it Creme Brulee or whatever it was from League of Gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) We had a great band uh, during the day. But uh, yeah, I I stand by it. So have a listen. Let me know what you reckon. (laughs) <laughs> that's tickled me that lovely gentleman <laughs> uh, so you doing travel on Paris's show um, yeah. and did instantly did he have that relationship because obviously you went on to be really successful together yeah we had a, we had a good rapport straight away he you know fair play to him he's one of those people that was very open about broadcasting and wanted to get people involved and looked you know he, he was very open to doing different stuff so I, I think it was a good match of him having kind of four or five years of being like a, you know, a, a regular presenter on on in the GWR group, so kind of knew how all that bit worked. And then I could kind of bring a slightly more chaotic side to things. But along with that, I brought uh, my brother Simon uh, Bushenfeld and, and Ed Palmer, um, who we all went to university together, but they all did script writing, comedy. Ed is a fantastic voiceover guy. So he used to do character voices for our, what then turned on, you know, turned out to be Jack Nicholson and our Bristolian Spider-Man that we all used to do and everything as well. So it started like that. And it was just at first a little kind of comedy weekend project. And Scott Muller, because um, obviously at that time, GWR group was, full, you know, with a lot of uh, big name Australians in the, in the group, as you will remember. Yes. Uh, you know, yes. your Cantonese, your Scott Muller, your Link Kellys. And Scott Muller, uh, a, a you know, fantastic very well-respected producer uh, of uh, radio in Australia, uh, picked up our demo, which, uh, uh, you know, I think we recorded it and they would, didn't really fancy it. And he said to my boss, Paul Andrew, you've got to give these guys a try. And it, we were lucky enough to kind of get it picked out the bin because it was quite different from what people had been doing before. Uh, and we went from there. And it was, it was a mix of sketches and normal commercial radio with, you know, chatting about funny stuff so, and and right the way through our the time on the Bush and Troy show um, we've always had that thing of doing sketches uh, character comedy I, we were, I think we were one of the early adopters of doing um, you know I work at Absolute Radio now and the brilliant Matt Berry does funny idents for us but I think we were one of the first maybe the first to do that where we would do um, a station ident that we'd written that was you know taking the mickey out of what we were doing so I think although we didn't realise it at the time we probably did kind of like pioneer quite a few things but through pure trial and error and that's why I feel kind of bad for people now because there's no there's no overnight shift on Wyvern to, to screw up and try stuff out. No, that didn't work. That completely tanked you. People kind of come in at quite a high level now, and then it's kind of sink or swim really quickly. So I feel very fortunate that to have I've had that time of like trying out a load of things, and some worked brilliantly, and some was just a complete disaster. I mean, we 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 had a big thing, um, which again, this is like another example of stuff you couldn't do now. I remember at Christmas time we. We had a turkey. We got a turkey, which we called Tracy, Tracy the turkey. And then we got a load of T-shirts made with either kill Tracy or eat Tracy or save Tracy. Um, and, and we kind of had this big theatricality of it going on over the Christmas period of that. Like, were we going to save her or eat her? And we got like, it, it, it was brilliant. And it went really well. And it got into like the papers and all this kind of stuff. But um, is it Petta, Pitta or whatever? Not Pitta's entirely wrong. It's what you'd eat Tracy with. But the people who are like do the... Uh, <laughs> You know, anti-animal cruelty people animal picketed the radio stations. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a PR disaster in the end, actually. But stuff like that now. That that that's why I feel so I feel so lucky to have been part of that because um, it's you couldn't do any you can't do any of that kind of stuff now. You really the people are so petrified these days of 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 uh, offending people that, um, that people are too scared to do anything. So uh, lucky to have you know been around in that era where we you could do kind of mad shit like that like our newsreader George Painter was scared of um, seagulls so we made him like a a coat and stapled loads of bacon to it and then did like a live broadcast watching him go out in the morning to watch him get absolutely savaged by about 25 seagulls and it was brilliant and him mic'd up and everything so I could hear him being attacked so much fun but like do that now and you'd be like cruelty 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 to the uh, seagulls cruelty to George so it's just like I'm glad we got to do all that stuff in a time when you can kind of get away with it 
I feel that now might be the time for me to apologise, Andy, because we, we stole the, the turkey idea. We changed it slightly, so it's not a complete rip-off. Yours was Tracy, was it? Tracy the turkey. Yeah, ours was Tina. Um, that was the change. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's fine. That works. <laughs> and, and the people of, of Berkshire and Hampshire, I don't know what the, the people of Bristol voted for, but they, they, they said, oh, keep it. Like, keep it alive. The, the majority said, keep it alive. The thing is that you keep these type of turkeys alive, it got that fat that its legs broke. So it oh has to be put God. down anyway. I know, brutal. What a horrendous end to what I thought was going to be quite a heartwarming story. That's awful. Yep, there we go. I'll hoisted, that one with you. hoisted by our own petard, I think would be the footnote to that. Do you know, I've just spent the weekend in Bristol and it is a, it's such an amazing city to, to broadcast to as well, isn't it? We were very lucky. And this, this is what really messed me up when I moved to London is that in Bristol, you've got... Um, kind of a town town or village mentality in a, in a city size and format and scale. So, and it's got a real landscape of common uh, phrases and cultural reference points and, and a real safety of um, being able to talk about stuff because you're familiar. And, and I look back at some of the things we used to talk about then, I'd never get away with doing that now. And I know the world was a different place 15 years ago or whatever, but I just think within Bristol they were up for a laugh and we really tried to tap into that so all of the stuff that we did featured Bristol landmarks our Christmas songs all had Bristol landmarks in it and um, observations about Bristol so it was a very Bristol show that I think kind of uh, luckily fortuitously timed in with a real um, awakening of a, a Bristol sense of self that um, wasn't just like you know uh, a two Ronnie's character with a bit of straw out of his mouth leaning over a fence but taking that on board <laughs> but also kind of being kind of like forward thinking and this is a you know this is a place that people want to come to culturally and enjoy and it's it's got a real like um, mosaic of different people here and I, I, I think the rise of our breakfast show coincided with the rise of you know the west country as, as being a cool place to live and a, and, a, and a place that people want to spend time with and not be embarrassed about it because i think people from bristol probably spent a lot a lot of time trying to hide their accents or whatever and you know but, but people from birmingham probably have the same thing sometimes you get the, people take the piss out your accent and then suddenly a time comes where you have this awakening and suddenly the city's cool and it's a great thing it's a great thing to be part of you were there for 10 years andy a long time wasn't it 10 years man and boy and um uh, ten years at breakfast and then like two or three years uh, drive and all that stuff leading up to that as well. So it was a long time, but you know, it was. I loved it. I, I'm hugely proud of the Bush and Troy bit where we were doing our own thing, and then obviously we got bought and turned into Heart, and it was just the, like the beginning, as far as I was concerned, just the beginning of the end. That was just like fucking. One morning you woke up and the tractor beam being pulled in by the Death Star. And, and the worst thing about it was, it's like they did this kind of like, um, you know, visit to come and see us in the. Because I, I feel like when we were bought by Global, they very, very much viewed us as like the. Hobbiton might be viewed by Sauron. You know, it's the people living in out in the, in the in the fields and all that kind of thing. So I think they came down and gave us this kind of like talk about, you know, we, we just want to try and club together and beat the BBC. We're we're all in this together and we're we're it's the safety of commercial radio going forwards. But all along they were planning to like, you know, strip out all the different shows so they could try and network it as much as possible. And yeah, well maybe that did save bits of local radio, but I would question what they've saved. Is that is that technically the essence of local radio or not so I'm really proud of the Bush and Troy bit and and, and as soon as the, the timer started on Heart Breakfast and just hearing those song jingles I was fucking that was I was out of there that's it <laughs> I was digging I was what was that in the Shawshank Redemption whatever a poster was on the wall I was tapping behind that with my tiny hammer as soon as I heard them intros that's me gone <laughs> well obviously when you turned to heart we did at 210 fm and did did you have the the royal visit of toby anstas as well did yes you have that they sent in toby <laughs> yeah. yeah they sent him in to pacify to pacify yeah. the provinces um god bless him so <laughs> there waving i mean i may have got this wrong but I, I believe from recollection he was waving out of the uh sunroof of like a popemobile <laughs> And we were all there, you know, like throwing out that thing that people used to do when they were liberated in the Second World War, were like swinging caps and stuff like that, <laughs> putting um, putting flowers in the end of his gun turret, and then um, and then it was just a bit of a farce, really, because it was just that from that point on the slow, the slow twist and you know, demise down to bits being stripped away and people not really getting the joke. Do you know what I mean? People just don't get it. I don't think people who 
who were in that company at that time just didn't really have a clue really and it's just like it was just about shifting units and um selling stuff and all that kind of thing so i guess radio's not really changed since to be honest with you do you know i remember really pissing toby ansis off because when he came in i um on air i said let's have a, 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 a hit the vocal off uh, but we'd fixed it so that we'd we'd edited the, the the intro to his his vocal, so it was either a little bit shorter or longer than it normally would be. And, and, and but you know he's one of those people that just smiles. But as as I kept beating the vocal off, he was getting more and more pissed off. He was just getting redder and redder. I bet. He was like the heart. He was like the heart coloured red on his face. <laughs> a know, company man. So a company man to the the very end. Uh, it's good on him, Toby. But also as well, he's he's like quite hench. I, I, I was quite taken aback at how yeah. how bulked up Antistis was. I mean, he could he could knock me out with one punch. No two ways about it. I wouldn't you know wouldn't want a showdown with Antistis because he'd win easily. Well, let's just talk a bit more about Paris. Are, are you still friends with Paris? Because I, I want to, I want you to to answer the rumor that we all thought when 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 you left to go to London. But we'll get onto that in a bit. So, are you still friends with Paris now? Haven't spoken to Paris since we did our last show uh, in Bristol that day so right, okay. I, I don't know I mean you know when it never fell out really I don't think it was just like um, I think you know, when you do I always have a lot of uh, empathy with when you get bands in and bands split up and they all get you know I think just through proximity you know what it's like doing breakfast show at that kind of morning it's incredibly intense and you're having to live with someone with like your best and worst moments and the best and worst bits of your life and everything like that as well and it does have a real effect on you and um I mean, I'm sure I can't be uh, an easy person to work with as well because I am a bit, like, manic. But I, I guess at that point, I was quite frustrated with where Hart was going and I wanted out and I wanted us to go and do something else. So, um, and it was, that wasn't to be, that wasn't to be with Paris. He wanted to, you know, stay put and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, it was more It was more that. We never had a kind of, like, a, <clears throat> a big blow-up thing, but... We've just never spoken since, which is very strange because obviously the show we did um, was, you know, had a big effect on the commercial radio landscape at that point. But then, you know, maybe just kind of grew apart. Well, tonight, Andy, we have a surprise for you because no. Oh, um, oh wow! <laughs> oh, hi, it's me eating a jowl crazy in a darkened radio studio. Yeah, it's going really well, Paris. Yeah, it's going great. Well, see, the rumour was was that um, you both got offered a job, and look, don't answer this if you don't want to, but you both got offered a job in London, but Paris decided to stay in Bristol. Yeah, no, that was that was true. Uh, that was true. So we had a meeting. Uh, we had a meeting with Clive Dickens, who was the, you know, uh, Clive's a, a good man. He he was the head of uh, Absolute Radio and putting Absolute together. For, that was at, for the Times of India group. We met them up in London. He also came down to visit us in Bristol, and they were really keen to take us to to London. We, we never really discussed what it was we were going to be doing, but that for me was just like the door opening moment and me thinking, right, this is, this is what I want to do because um, management at the time, in terms of our life in Bristol, was I always used to describe it as a bit like M. Night Shalaman's The Village where they would frighten the shit out of you about, don't worry, we'll protect you here, don't listen to any of them. So we never really got an idea of like how well the show was doing on a group-wide level because we never used to hear about it. So And London was big, scary... You know, stay away from London. And this used to give examples of other people's careers that had, like, you know, like burnt out cars on the roadside. You don't want to end up like this person or that person. They tried to make it in London. They didn't have what it took. And you want to stay with us and everything like that. So there's a lot of kind of scaremongering going on. But I think the interest from London combined with um, the way that Hart was going, I just, that, that set in motion for me like a, a re- irreversible pull that way. And I stayed in touch with Clive Dickens. Um, you know, ever since. And that's what eventually got me here, you know? Do you know, I remember my time at GCAP. Uh, I went there originally to Tooting FM with Tom, so it was Foxy and Tom. Yeah. And um, all I remember from day one was, you guys need to be like Bush and Troy. From day one. And it was like, it, it created this hatred towards you both. No, I imagine. It was, just un- was unjustified because I-, I used to say to the management, I don't want to be Bush and Troy, I just want to be myself. Yeah. But it was, and I don't think we were the only breakfast show that got that. I think they went around and said, be more Bush and Troy, or if you were male and female, be more Joe and Twiggy. Yes. So it, it was kind of like, be Bush and Troy, or be Joe and Twiggy. And it was like, I, I just want to be myself. 
Well, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I remember when I first arrived at Absolute Radio here, um, a guy called Greg Burke was one of our newsreaders and he worked uh, for Jack FM, I think, for a bit. And he, they were always being told about what we were doing, what Bush and Troy are doing. And he hated us. He had a preconception. <laughs> I mean, I was, he was right. I am a bit of a dick. But he had a preconception of me before I arrived. And, and it just, you know, it goes back to an issue that I have with um, particularly radio bosses at that time, uh, and I, I think, you know, GCAP or um, GWR group were really guilty of this. It's like trying to find formulas for the formula to success. Uh, and it was just like a complete balls up. And the worst thing was, I, I still, you know, we, uh, you would have had this as well, but we used to, as breakfast shows, all used to meet up at the um, the boot camp things in Bristol where you'd yeah. sit there. <laughs> yeah. and, and Bill McMahon, who I love Bill McMahon, he was an American, um, like a consultant, who had this thing called Authentic Radio Personality, which was a process for making sure that you delivered content in the best possible way, which sounds terrible. But, you know, I, I think in this game, there are, there are very few kind of devices that you can hang on to and I, I took a lot of good stuff from working with Bill like if it's taken in the right way then that's great and that was the whole classic thing of you, if you're of a particular era in radio you remember the trigger leading which is a, a phrase that gets people's attention dazzling detail where you say a couple of things that paint pictures for people and then the power out which is essentially just having a point where you're going to jump out the link but they beat us with this you know, this, these three, this triumvirate of phrases that he didn't really fully understand. And they kind of took Bill's thing and ruined it. And it, it, they completely unraveled the minds of all the people they'd hired. And, and, and you know, over these, these workshops at this hotel over the weekend, this boot camp thing, people were, like, having their in, in, entire brain, like, wiring messed with because it was you know against what bill mcmahon intended it was it was being used by program controllers who didn't under, fundamentally didn't understand how it worked and it was messy it probably messed up a generation of radio presenters because they were getting people to type their fucking links out you know, type your link out we always that type your link out and it was just like it was so hurtful to so many people and messed so many people up that it was just a it was such a big own goal because if that was used in the right way the stuff that Bill McMahon and you know authentic radio personality gave us actually you know I still use them today in what I do so um, I think there was a lot of bad management you know I think I still think with with you know radio top end of radio it's like football managers they get biffed off somewhere because they they're rubbish and then two minutes later on they get a job somewhere else so it's just like just a rotation do you know what I mean? <laughs> I reckon Alan Pardew will be my next boss. <laughs> I, I remember that we, we, we did an... Um, ugh, I sound like I'm bigging myself up, but we did a funny link and we were all sat in the snoop after the show and the boss wasn't laughing. And I was thinking, myself and Tom and our producer, Simon, um, we were pissing ourselves. And I was thinking, well, why is he... And the reason he wasn't laughing was because he, he thought we could have done it in two minutes and not three. And it's like, you're, you're, you're focusing on the wrong thing here. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And it's just like... But he would have... I guess they would have been given that as like an edict from above about that's what you've got to do. And it's um, it's just strange, man, because, you know, the bottom line is you've got to hire well. You've got to get the right people in, the, in, in those shows that are going to have the right reactions to stuff. And people who can see things, people who can uh, walk down the street and notice stuff and then present that in a way that's going to really chime with people and resonate with people. But you've, then you've just got to have tr faith in your hiring to let those people do that in the right way and that's one thing we're really fortunate with uh, here at Absolute Radio our boss Paul Sylvester it just lets us get on with it Absolute Radio just let you get on with it and it's great and there's no uh, I mean they, they'll, they'll definitely tell us if we're like going in the wrong direction or, or they want us to change stuff but um, there is a good amount of trust now where they you know they let us get on with with what we're doing. Um, I do feel like I've got it drilled into me in a good way, though, from that amount of time in commercial radio that I can sense. I get, you know, thing if it goes anything goes over three minutes, I start to sweat anyway. Do you know what I mean? It's just like <laughs> it's like post traumatic stress yeah. disorder. It's there. Do you, were you at the boot camp, Bush? When um, oh, just, do you know somebody told me his name the other day? There was a consultant that was on stage and he was trying to sell marketing to us all, and about making a big impact. That was it. And um, for anybody that's listening, the boot camps, they, GWR basically got all the breakfast shows together. So Bush and Troy, myself and Tom, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so this guy was on stage and it was all about making an impact message. And then he, he fainted on the floor, but we all thought that he was just doing that as like part of the act. <laughs> yeah, so we I remember like, that. Oh, this is great. And then someone went, 
I think it was Duncan Campbell went, oh, shit, yeah. I think he's actually passed out. <laughs> yeah, I, I will never forget that. We were just talking about that in the pub last week, would you believe, about what was the name of the consultant who fucking stacked it literally five minutes into his speech and, and everyone just had to like, right, no, every, it's, uh, everyone just take, take five and like, they had to be like dragged off uh, like Tommy Cooper. It was absolutely terrifying. He was fine and carried on and finished it and everything, but um, yeah, what a, what a debut that was at a conference. Do you know, it's just come back to me, it was Paige. Brilliant. Well, that's good, because we couldn't remember his name the other day, so that now that we put a, a face to the collapse, that's great. It was a technical problem. You heard something on there you shouldn't have done. Oh, yeah. All right, let's talk about Absolute, because what an absolute beauty of a move for you. What, what was it like being on your own for the first time? Oh, it was, an, it was a nightmare. It, it really was a nightmare. I, I, it was really difficult. So what happened was, I, I noticed that Nick Jackson was leaving the daytime lineup for Absolute Radio, and I thought, right, I've stayed in touch with Clive Dickens. This is my opportunity. I've got to go for it. Um, so I dropped Clive a, a message and just said, look, I'd love to do this. I think I could make a big difference to what you guys do. Just give me the chance. Give me the chance. Uh, and after a lot of the back and forth, etc., Clive. Uh, and God bless him, because he you know, started the, the the big next chapter of my radio career, gave me a shot at it. They hired me as, as the new afternoon presenter and then came over to London and then straight in at the deep end, you know, broadcasting national level from what I was doing in Bristol. And there's just so many things you've instantly got to deal with. First of all, just the building and the place here in, in Golden Square in Soho. As soon as you get off the tube, it's just intimidating because you feel like there's a thousand voices saying that you're out of your depth. Because, um, you know, everything looks kind of cool. It looks like it does in the movies. The studios here are absolutely immense and they look great. And it was just nothing like I'd experienced before. So there's a there's a lot of um, just even territorially um, feeling like you're an imposter and you don't deserve to be here. Then obviously other people on the lineup. So they've got people like Frank Skinner and that lot walking around. So, you know, they're off TV. I instantly felt like I was not in the right place as well. So there's a there's a lot going on inside my head. But I, I would say what was the biggest thing overall is that being at peace with gaps, when you talk on your own, it's such a different skill than, you know, when you're in a double act or a trio on a breakfast show, basically someone will hold the ball for you if you're like using a football analogy. You can then think of someone else and they pass it back to you. And it's this kind of synergy if you're working together and you get a breather and you're not having to just like, talk on your own all the time uh, and, and the hardest thing is like trying to be because I still try to like inject the humour that I had at breakfast in Bristol into my show in um, on Absolute Radio and at first it was just like oh my god you felt like you were just like nose diving they give you a lot of shit as well on on, on Twitter and text like this is awful what, who, you're the worst presenter I've ever heard in my life and, <laughs> and I was I don't want to call it media spy there's like this poisonous uh, forum is it a media digital spy I can't remember what it's called digital now digital spy they, yeah 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 what's it called is it Digital Spy? Digital yeah. Spy. I had my own, I had five pages of my own uh, on Digital Spy. Like, oh my God, have you heard this Andy Bush guy? He's absolutely terrible. So I was getting completely trounced on that as well. Uh, but do you know what? Because I had so much stuff going on, I had so many shows. It was just every day I was working weekends and everything as well. And they were, fair play to Absolute Radio. Within, within a couple of weeks, I joined pretty much just as the London Olympics were starting. Before I knew it, I was like introducing Duran Duran on stage at Hyde Park and all those big gigs at Hyde Park with Blur. And So I didn't have any time to think about it. And, and I think if I'd have had any time to like sit and dwell on it, I probably would have like bottled it a little bit. But I just didn't have time to think and I just had to learn really quickly on the job. And on over and above that, the other thing that was the most difficult was um, tone and uh, where to, to draw the line because I was making gags about stuff that I would have made gags about in Bristol and we were just getting loads of complaints. I was, I was getting in loads of trouble because obviously we're in the West End of London. What kind of stuff are you talking about then, Andy? Uh, do you know what? I, I, <laughs> it, was, it just... I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it on here because I want to, it's kind of a hot topic now that I don't want to get uh, back in trouble for again. But um, I, I, okay. I think I, I think stuff that would have been would be fair game for taking the piss out of in Bristol, where everyone used to take the piss out of each other. You come to London, you just can't do it. You just literally can't do it. And also, they didn't know me. This is the other thing. I kind of turned up and went straight in, like. Uh, previously, in that kind of radio, they've always just had people that were like super slick. Like people who got in and out of records really quickly, didn't know anything about them, didn't find out anything about them at all, uh, and they would get away thirty-eight songs an hour because they're just fucking <laughs> slicing songs together and like just saying that was this is boom, boom, boom. And I, I remember sitting there typing out the links of the person that I was replacing because I would type it out and think oh, I just want to get my head around the language here of this place. And I was like, 
I'm not. I can't do this. This can't be. This can't be it. Surely. So I just tried to do the. The goal for me was to try and do the the cut and thrust and quickness of daytime radio. Talk directly at people in terms of having a conversation with them, but also try and make them laugh a little bit as well. And can I do that and still get away a certain amount of songs per hour and not get sacked? And it was bumpy at first, but kind of survived it, got through it. And then I feel, if I may be so bold, I do feel like I changed uh, how those shows in the day would were. Uh, were approached a bit like we've got Ben Burrell who who um, uh, replaced me after I left and he now does a bit more comedy content in with and observational stuff in with just like that was this is and stationality so the door's been opened a little bit for other people to try that kind of thing which is which is great so then obviously uh, Richie comes along um, having left Christian O'Connell's breakfast show or Christian left obviously so then were you relieved to get somebody back sat opposite you in a studio? Well, yeah, I mean, when when Dave, when Chris, there was this, this kind of chain effect of Christian out of the blue going to Australia, okay, bang, they need to deal with that. I think they wanted Dave to, you know, uh, Dave Berry to bed in probably a little bit longer at drive time to get him used to the, the station, used to him and him used to the station. But, you know, like like what happened with me, sometimes it's better when you're thrust into it and you don't have too long to think about it. So Dave went straight on to breakfast with his team and then um, Richie and I were consciously coupled by my boss, Paul. Uh, and it was good, yeah. I mean, at first I was probably thinking, uh, oh, well, do I want to go back to being part of a double act? Because that does come with its own problems. Like, sometimes democracy is exhausting, like having to share ideas and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Rich and I hit it off straight away because, you know, I think I think in their breakfast show with Christian, he he's a very good ideas guy, gets it. He's very good at kind of keeping things ticking over, um, um, it's got a good a good sense of theatricality, which is something that I love in radio and trying to do things and and have story arcs and all that kind of stuff. So we've just hit it off, and you know, we've done the show together now for five years. We've just done some, you know, we've done mad stuff, and it's been brilliant. And long may it continue. And uh, yeah, I've been very very fortunate to to be matched up with Richie really because we we get on great, and and the show we love doing the show together as well. Obviously, your surname you know lends itself to to many great radio features. Um, Bird in the Hand, uh, Bushcraft, Bush Tucker Trials. I mean, you know, the list could be endless, couldn't it? It is. You know, it's. A, thank God I didn't go with my actual surname, which is Bushenfeld, which sounds like a German tennis racket or something. So that would have, that would have curtailed that a little bit. But um, uh, no, it's, it's been good. And we, you know, we get to, like I said, our, our boss lets us do what we want. We've got a really good audience. The audience at Absolute Radio are fantastic because they're well-trained from the kind of Christian O'Connell days and everything really of like, they're good at getting in touch and coming back to stuff you know for you so you know I I'd love having in the morning having an idea putting it on Twitter getting a good comeback on it thinking oh this might work and then we go and do it and it's you know it's one of those shows where we do turn up and, and do what we're into each day rather than I'm not a massive benchmarks guy I don't really I'm not a massive fan of doing all that really you know they're good in radio a bit but I think sometimes you can get a bit lazy if you have too many benchmarks I agree I agree and obviously you know absolute an absolute beauty of a radio station um you've interviewed some big celebs daniel craig daniel craig yeah i've uh, what's, he, what's he like he was, he was a nice guy i felt like i'd say 90 percent of the problems with famous people are like the bell ends to use a technical term that they surround themselves with so um <laughs> he's fine but then he's got like seven or eight people who are all kind of scuttling around him saying don't say this don't ask that sit this far away you know and it's just like I feel bad for them because you can tell that they're all right and they, they've just got, you know, they would they would quite happily sit down and have a chat with you. But that, I guess in a junket environment, which is what the Daniel Craig one was, you get um, you get all the other stuff that comes along with it. Like, as far as I'm concerned, a junket is a psychological battle between you and the, the film company or what they want, you know, they want to impose their will on what they want to come out from the interview and you've got to try and impose your... It's like a difficult away game in football. So, you know, you go there, you sign up, sit in an empty or kind of really silent hotel foyer with people that you recognise from BBC News and ITN and all that kind of thing. No one talking. Then you get called to sit in the hallway outside a hotel room for like seven or eight minutes, like you're about to go and have like an uh, STI test. And then you go in and have this kind of weird seven or eight minute chat with someone stood behind them giving you hand signals like a fucking, like you're a catcher in in, in uh, baseball about how many more minutes you've got left and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, try to keep your head with that uh, that's why I threw myself into loads of junkets because I thought I want to try and get these right. Do you know what I mean? So I did. I just did loads of them, and loads of them were were, were really bad. But then after a while, it's like a good inoculation to. I feel like now I don't. I, 
a guest could be a nightmare with me and it wouldn't be an issue. Like I interviewed Blur recently and, you know, Blur can be quite tricky. Da- Damon Alban is a genius, but he's quite a tricky character. He? he doesn't suffer fools at all. So, But I think, you know, doing those kind of things, when they come to you, if you're going to make them a cup of tea and, and speak to them just before you get going, that's just priceless. That little bit of familiarity before record is hit, it, is the, it can be the difference between a good interview and a bad interview. So that's why now we're very lucky with Bauer being, uh, you know, this big beast. Um, they come to us now. We very rarely go out and do junkets. So they'll come into the building, they'll do Kiss, Absolute Radio, you know, heat or whatever. But it means we've got them on home turf. You can make them a cup of tea and then it's, it's, um, you get a better interview as a result. You seem like a, a pretty cool cucumber, Andy, but you must have shit yourself with Rolling Stones. Oh, yeah, that was, uh, that was terrifying. Um, particularly, that, I mean, that was just the environment. Like, again, I was interviewing Mick Jagger, go into uh, this kind of hotel suite and I just sat at this table in this massive hotel room for ages. You know, where's Mick? It's just really quiet. And then the doors are thrown open. He's there bathed in light, like Louis the Sixteenth. <laughs> kind of comes in and sits down opposite you. And it's just like, um, you're just frightened of asking the wrong question or offending them or or anything like that. But um, he was all right in the end when you, when, you, when you get going. I think all of them, deep down, are petrified that you're going to try and trip them up or trick them with something. Like you're going to try and make them look stupid. And once you, if you can kind of, if you have time to communicate to them that you're all right, you just want to find out what they're up to, then that kind of changes the entire, the entire interview, really. Do you know, I don't know if you had the same with him, but when I, I was really lucky to interview Paul Weller and uh, it was backstage at the arena in Birmingham. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I ended up just going quite dizzy and staring at him thinking, oh, Paul Weller. <laughs> do, you, Paul. do you know that feeling? Yeah, yeah. What, why am I in this room with you? Well, my, my, my biggest fear is sometimes the people that I respect the most, I, I worry that I do the worst interviews with because I'm so kind of in awe of them, like I love you type thing, that I then can't <laughs> interview them properly. Um, so that is difficult. That's what I was worried about with Blur because I was such a big Blur fan. Like, am I going to just like like fanboy this and completely ruin it? So you have to kind of slightly detach yourself from it a little bit as well. But um, yeah, there's definitely like, it's mad. There's, there's moments where you do pinch yourself and think, wow, I'm actually getting to chat to this person who I've grown up watching on TV and everything. And, uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, you just got to remind yourself that just like me and you, they're just normal people and it's the aura around them. And they've all got, they've all got different ways of behaving. Like, I remember I, had a, I was interviewing Jackie Chan. Wow. Um, and his, his security guy, you think Jackie Chan wouldn't need security because he's fucking Jackie Chan, but his security guy came the day before and wanted to check out all the entrances, all the exits, where the toilets were and all that kind of thing. So, like, you get this kind of, like... <laughs> Curious behaviours. I, you know, and I'll tell you another one, Depeche Mode. Um, we interviewed them last year and we had heard loads of stuff that, you know, they're quite difficult and, you know, they, you know, they don't suffer fools. And we were like, we were kind of bricking it really because we're not, we're not a show that does music interviews as such really. Like the evening show with Danielle Perry would do that. But, uh, you know, we liked the idea of getting someone in and maybe giving them a slightly different interview and they were great fun. So I, I don't, I, I feel like I don't fear anyone now. I feel like, in my heart, I reckon I could hopefully get a good conversation out of pretty much anyone. Will Smith? Will, Will, he's lovely. What a lovely guy. Again, like, all the build-up, don't say this to Will, don't do this to Will, da-da-da-da-da, get there and meet him. Absolutely lovely chap. Really, really lovely, lovely man. So, um, you've just got to, you've got, you've got to play the person, not the situation, because the Will Smith thing, this is the other thing with radio, you shouldn't forget this about fucking the speakers and people listening to it and human connection uh, and the moment t- the moment cameras get involved and thinking about it for tv and viral videos and youtube clips that's when it all goes tits up so the will smith interview should have been should just be me chatting to him in the studio but i'll know because they wanted to get loads of hits on youtube it's me incongruously interviewing him sat on like a some kind of storage case for like you know like you'd have like an you know with like music equipment in it with the yeah, yeah. handheld mics and everything it's just like you just got to go back to basics. That's when I mean, we did, we made a real change from that a few years back. Like we're only doing interviews if it's a radio. It's got to be a radio interview first and foremost. And if you get good video out of it, great. Would you class yourself as a radio person? No, no, not at all. Not not remotely. I I don't mean that in a bad way to anyone who is a radio person, but I'm not just completely not bothered by it. Not bothered by the industry. Don't really have that many friends in the industry. I mean, I love the people that I work with. Look at radio festivals. I couldn't think of anything worse. Literally, I'd take a, I'd chomp into a, signet, a, a cyanide capsule in a signet ring rather than go to a radio conference. 
<laughs> just not your scene. No, Mark. No way, man. No, F- fuck that. Honestly, I, c- <laughs> I couldn't bear it. Uh, and the worst thing is, like you know, occasionally you get nominated for awards and all that kind of thing. We never win anything. We're always the bridesmaid, never the bride. But I just not. I'm not. I don't think I'm prepared to put in the hard yards of the schmooze to 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 get up maybe to the next rung of the ladder. I'm just not not prepared to do it because I. I can't hide it very well if I have a, like quite a deep hatred for for someone, so I just can't do it. It's gonna it's gonna hold me back. It has held me back. So what you're saying is you don't sit in a, a Weatherspoons with a load of radio people singing jingles from 1984. <laughs> That's what you're saying, Andy. I should have put the time in for that. But no, you see him. You, you know what it's like. I guess anyone who's um, who's got any any career, you have got the same thing. You get people. You got people who are good at networking. Uh, and then there's people who are just like normal people. And I feel much more at ease with just normal people than people who would... would, You know what they're like? You're talking to them at an event and they're looking through you because they're trying to fucking scan to see whether they can sucker on to someone that that would like get them climbing up the ladder a bit higher and they'll just drop you like a hot stone to get over to that person. And and that's the... I've never been like that in my career. I, I, you know, I love the people that I've worked with and I've just got mates that aren't necessarily radio people and I don't ever want to change it. And if if I ever get to the point where I need to be a bit more like that to, to further myself in radio, then then maybe that's the moment for me to do something different. I don't know. If you were to do something different, what would it be? It's difficult because I'm completely unskilled. I've got no skills whatsoever. Um, that's, that's, that's not true. Let's go through some of the things that you are skilled at. Because aside from Absolute, you do, you do quite a lot, don't you? I do a bit of drawing. I, you know, I've always loved illustrating and all that kind of thing. So maybe I'd like to um, do a bit of art. That would be quite nice. Sell pictures or paintings or that kind of thing. But uh, ain't going to pay the bills. I, I, you know, I love the... My, my, my mate Brian is always talking about... Um, he's, uh, he does the, the Magic Breakfast show, but his dream down the road is, is retraining and becoming a carpenter. You know, something like that. Something kind of like where you use your hands and you get respect from people because, uh, you know, I always thought radio would be the big job and people would be impressed with it. But I tell you what, if, you, if you, you're in a group of people and someone says they're a carpenter or a fireman, that's what gets the big attention, not, not being a radio presenter. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I picked the wrong thing. <laughs> well, I mean, let, so you, you're the author of Celebs at Home. Yeah. Cartoons of celebs doing mundane stuff. You, you sell art for charity. I mean, you do numerous podcasts. I mean, you do you do, do a lot. Thank you very much. Yeah, I try and keep busy. I, I am. I'm, I've always got loads of ideas and stuff, so I'm always looking for ways to try and try and do something a little bit different, or try and have more strings to my bow. So I'm not just you know not just doing this, the same radio thing. And you know, I'm very lucky at the moment with the the A to Z of everything podcast with Louise Maloney, who's Sarah Cox's producer. Um, we get to talk about fun stuff, and it's kind of more of a comedy angle. And then recently launched um, Scarred for Life with uh, David and Steve, the authors of the Scarred for Life books, and, and that's cool because we get we get kind of um, you know people from the world of uh, pop culture on to talk about stuff that scarred them for life when they were kids, and it's a really interesting, different different strand to stuff that I'm interested in. So, what's next for you? I don't know, man. I was talking about this with a friend actually this morning, just about where where do you go from here? I've never had like a five year plan and all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, an area of radio I've never tried before that I would love to give a go is like maybe talk radio and all that kind of thing. But um, you know, with that comes its own issues. With like, uh, I don't think I particularly, I, I'm not interested in politics at all. And I, I, and I, I don't know whether I'd be very good at like, you know, you've got. It seems you've got to try and wind people up to get people to text in and everything. And I don't know whether I could be asked with any of that as well. So, I don't know. I'm not too sure. I feel very happy at Bauer. They've got some interesting stations within there that you know in the building that um, are also good avenues for doing other stuff and everything in the future. So, I feel like this plus my podcast and a bit of art. I feel like I'm in a good good position. Do you know what I mean going forwards? Any regrets? No, I've I've. I've never regretted anything. I mean, I was very close down to the last, I think it was down to the final two people to get the the GWR Wiltshire breakfast show gig. And it would have been me and Jez Clark. Uh, who Jez is a lovely guy. And, um, you know, he was a good friend of mine right at the start of my career and everything. Uh, but you look at those little moments. I think, I, I think if I hadn't kind of, you know, not got that job. And then, because you know, sometimes you can be really like, gutted about something but like no offense to Jez but that then set me on the career path to Bristol and then Paris and then London do you know what I mean if it doesn't sound like a tour date thing but um so even those things that look like a bit of a reverse and something that is a disappointment have actually opened doors so I, I always think you know everything kind of happens for a reason really so I would say Andy out of 
all the guests that we've had, you've got the shortest CV out of everybody. I mean, it's just the two. It's just the two stations, isn't it? I've had well, two I mean, lovers. Yeah, two lovers, where many of us have had 20, 30 lovers. I mean, how have you been so faithful just to the two? Well, do you know what? I feel like I've been, I've been very lucky to have two bosses and two situations where we were just allowed to kind of get on with it uh, and we were supported in what we were doing and they saw what we were doing. So my boss, Paul Andrew in Bristol, was was very supportive of Bush and Troy and what we were trying to do. And then my, you know, my boss, another Paul, Paul Sylvester here at Absolute Radio, is is very supportive of where I'm going and what, what Richie and I are doing here on Home Time. And, you know, I, I remember in the days of agents, I don't have an agent. I remember at the beginning I used to have an agent because there was a lot of kind of like manoeuvring that went on in radio, between radio stations. But now with with the fact that you've got kind of like Bauer facing off against Global and there's not that many different places that you can you can go to really, to be honest with you. So I guess I've just been lucky to find two places that... And when I, when I go somewhere and when I've worked somewhere, I really want to do the best possible. I'm very I'm very kind of like loyal and pro the brand and who I work for. So when I work for someone at a place, I'm very proud of it and I want it to do as best as possible. So I don't I generally don't tend to look at look around too much either. Never thought about cheating? Sometimes I do, yeah. Sometimes you're like, well, I'm not being uh maybe they don't, you know, uh not respect me or, or value me as much. But I think people go everyone goes through uh that little thing. You know, I I think it's a dangerous game getting into the uh courting Courting something else to try and get leverage in your current situation seems to be the the kind of usual formula for the radio contract negotiation. But I always feel like our boss here at Absolute has been very fair with us about our value and what we're doing and where we're going. And, and, and we've never taken the piss by trying to ask for loads of money and getting someone else in, an agent, to have a weird conversation with your boss for you is all just a bit odd. So, yeah, it's been... I feel like I'm in a good trajectory... Uh, and I'm lucky enough to be in two places where I felt, you know, wanted and supported. Andy, thank you so much for your time and being on Crunch and Roll. It's been a real pleasure, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been good to go back down memory lane. Um, <laughs> I, I, I started this in series two, but I like to ask our guest, who would you like to hear on Crunch and Roll? Paulina Gillespie. I would love... Paulina, uh, the, the, the amazing person that I did the... Uh, Bush and Troy show with all those years. She's a brilliant character and she'd be great. She's got some stories, that girl. Paulina, put it down as a guest. There we go. Well, as always, Andy, have you done any voiceover work? Oh, yeah, I do a bit of voiceover work. Uh, yeah, do, do adverts and, and all that kind of stuff as well. But yeah, trying to get back into it now after everything stopped during lockdown. Uh, any adverts that I would hear? Uh, Queen on tour, which is interesting because I hate Queen. <laughs> I will listen out for that. Well, as always, Andy, you've been an absolute star. Thank you very much for sharing your story. And can you can you take us away with the outro? You've been listening to Crunch and Roll with me, Andy Bush. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app to get every new episode as soon as they drop. Crunch and Roll is a 969 Media production presented by John Fox and produced by Simon Bozowski. I uh, hope this all makes sense. Oh, that's the rest of the email from Simon. <laughs> I love that surname, Bozowski. That's good. Simon, you sound like uh, someone who's got the chief of police on their ass. God damn it, Bozowski. Oh, yeah. And then at the weekend, I'd come in and do uh, BBC Radio Devon, uh, which I would do my... You had to do one bulletin every 45 minutes, so I'd do a bulletin, order a carvery from the pub next door, eat the carvery with an... Like, phones ringing off the hook, people reporting travel news. I wasn't even there. I was eating, uh, I was eating a ham platter and then come back in like Henry VIII dust of the cheeks with a napkin and then do the next report at uh, quarter two it's brilliant